Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. It's the Show Up with Christine Chang podcast. We're in a new studio. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and maybe even leave a comment because that helps me a lot. I'm so excited. Today we have Alicia Urbias on the show. She's been in the beauty industry for over 15 years. She does makeup on set for shows that are on Netflix and Hulu. She's also owner of The Alchemy Goddess. It's a wellness company that sells things like these amazing gua sha's. If you don't know what gua sha's are, Alicia, do you want to explain this? Because I'm actually surprised that some people don't know what this is. Maybe I, I'm on Instagram too much, but I'm like, you don't know what a gua sha is? Uh, gua sha translates into scraping sand out of the body. So you're trying to scrape uh, all of the inflammation out of your body. I like that you're doing this. A little distracting. <laughs> I use this every morning and it does work because my face, I if I'm loaded down yeah. here on my jawline, which is like every day, I, and you have muscle in your face, just like everywhere else yeah, too, so right? You're, you're you, toning and detoxing, and you're also trying to stimulate the lymphatic system, which the lymphatic system is um, the clear fluid in your body. So when you get a cut in your skin, you see that sometimes it like oozes clear liquid. Yeah. And so it's like kind of like the garbage collector in your body. So you're trying to remove that from your body. Yeah. I mean, we get massages in other places in our body. Why not your face? And I could feel it's crunchy. Yeah, a lot of people forget about the face. And you're actually releasing a lot of tension when you're doing that. Yes, it feels so good. Because we hold a lot of stress. A lot of us also clench our jaws. So this actually... <laughs> That's me. I grind You at grind night. at night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is really good to help alleviate the tension in your jaw. Yeah. This is fine. I'm starting this episode off like it's QVC or something like that. <laughs> but I swear to God, this product, well, there's different ones. There's the rollers and stuff. I've tried like all of them. This one, the ones you saw that have either like the heart shape or yeah. this is the best one because yeah. it gets in there, especially for the jawline. I don't know if you guys can hear the crunchiness, but it feels really good. And the comb actually is really good for stimulating hair growth also and for fine lines and wrinkles. <laughs> or smile lines not that anybody has any wrinkles or fine lines love talking about beauty but we're also going to talk about fun things like dating relationships childhood trauma i feel like this should be regular conversation especially i mean unless you're really lucky most people have grown up with something you know something has happened and unless you are conscious and you want to do the work to heal from them, it can have a big impact on your day-to-day -day adult life. So today we're gonna talk about all that. Alicia and I, we know each other. Our husbands, our friends, they love soccer. Pete really loves Simon, like really likes him. Aw, the feeling <laughs> is mutual. So you were raised in, your mom was a single mom. She was a single mom, bless her, she tried her best. Were you born in the States? I was. I was born in New York City. Okay. Was she born in the States? She was not born in the States. Okay. She was born in Dominican Republic and she came when she was 12. She raised me all by herself. I can't imagine raising a child. Yeah. So she met my own. father and they had a short relationship and she became pregnant and she told him that she was pregnant and he was like, that's not my child and didn't want to have anything to do with me. And so she raised me on her own. And um, he suggested that she get an abortion. She refused, had a friend who talked her out of it. Her mom wanted her to get an abortion. And I'm saying this because it was very prevalent in my life. Growing up, she would always tell me <laughs> that my father didn't want me and that he wanted her to have an abortion. But 
around this time, she, the friend who convinced her to not have an abortion was also very religious and brought her to church. And so she kind of would also intertwine that in the conversation about how uh, basically God saved me from, you know, being aborted and would constantly talk about this. That was not fun (laughs) to hear all the time about how my father didn't want me. Yeah. It was very hurtful. So do you have, did you have abandonment issues from that? Um, Or feeling unimportant or unwanted? Like how did that play out? So my mom also had a lot of trauma. She was abused as a child and she was also very open about that. I mean, I believe that you should be honest with your children, but sometimes you shouldn't be so honest. You shouldn't tell them the um, extent of the abuse that you perhaps endured because the relationship becomes a mesh. The child starts feeling responsible for how the parent is feeling. And so growing up, I had to deal with a lot of that. I had to be the strong one when my mom was, you know, dealing with a lot of her issues. I didn't know it at the time, but um, you know, your body keeps score of the things that happen to you. And she would have anxiety attacks all the time where she felt like she was dying. I remember my first memory of her um, having an anxiety attack. I was five and she would, she woke me up and she said, I'm dying, I'm dying. And I had to tell her, no, you're not dying. Just breathe through it. You know, five-year-olds telling her that. (laughs) And, you know, she's very religious, like I said. And I'm kind of like, you know, you're religious, but you think you're dying. (laughs) And I I don't quite understand, like, you believe in this, you know, in Jesus and he's your savior and, you know, life's supposed to be great, but yet you feel like you're dying and the anxiety attacks were constant. And so I had to always talk to her. And it's pretty terrifying to be woken up at three in the morning when you're sleeping and your parents telling you that you're dying, that they're dying, you know, that they think that they're getting a heart attack. Can you call the ambulance? And so, you know, I had to deal with a lot of her traumas. And so that was really a damper on my own childhood because I felt like I had to be mature. And she would always comment, oh, you're so mature, you know, and she would always ask me questions. And it was kind of like the boundaries were um, not so clear of like, was I a friend? Was I confident? Was, you know, I a child? And so respect was kind of difficult because, you know, how can you respect your parent when they're you're basically on the same level that they are. So that was hard. You said that she endured abuse. So did she also do that to you as well? Because I know unless you do the work, which for our parents' generation, it maybe it wasn't as common. You know, you just end up doing what your parents did to you. Yeah. Did you experience any of that? So her abuse was different than mine. She was sexually abused as a child. And so that overshadowed a lot of her parenting. She was very fearful, um... I don't necessarily think that religion is bad, but I do believe that a lot of people that are broken, they kind of latch on to religion and they don't seek the help that they actually need. She should have definitely talked to somebody about her issues, but she was she's very adamant that she's fine. She's been healed, you know, and she's kind of tried to put a band-aid over those issues. Um, so her abuse was kind of, it came from a place of fear that she didn't want me to repeat the same things that she repeated. And I think that she really blamed herself for a lot of the things that happened to her. And so she had a lot of self-hate and self-loathing. And so when I would see her, she didn't love herself. She would constantly um, criticize her appearance. And she would always look for approval from me, like, do you think I'm beautiful? You know, And I would say, yes, of course, I think you're beautiful. 
And it was very much about her and meeting her needs. And so she felt bad that my father wasn't around, but she'd be like, you know, but Jesus is your father, you know? And I'm like, well, that doesn't help me because I can't see him. <laughs> Just another absent person <laughs> or being, you know? So that was really hard because I would always try to put like a brave face. And I've always been somebody who I tried to act like everything's fine, even if it's not. Yeah. And so growing up, I did that because everything was like falling apart around me. And I didn't really want people to know to the extent that they were falling apart. It was difficult for her to try to keep me in line. So she would, I come from um, Chankla culture. I don't know if you've heard of that. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Chinese culture, we have our own version of that as the Chinese feather duster. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't really agree with it, but it was the best that she knew. And anytime I would get out of line, she would take whatever, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it was a cord, sometimes it was a paddle, sometimes it was a chunkla, you know, a shoe, flip flop. Yeah. Um, and I was very compliant actually as a child because I was like afraid. Mm -hmm. And she would always say, I'm not abusing you. And if you tell anybody that I'm abusing you, you know, you're, they're gonna be you're gonna be taken away and you're gonna be taken to another place. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna be worse than what you think it is here. So I'm like, I'm not being abused. So I kept telling myself like, I'm not being abused, but I would say something. I would always question whatever she was saying. And sometimes I would just like get a slap or I would get a slap like out of the blue. And she'd be like, well, that was for last week. So I was constantly like walking on eggshells yeah. with her. I didn't know like when something would happen. And she was loving. I don't want to say that she was a terrible person, but her love was very conditional and I thought that that was normal. So as long as I complied with what she said, everything was fine. Mm. And it impacted me in my relationship that I had with others growing up. Also feeling like I was responsible for other people's emotions and feelings was something that was really huge mm. for me. What age did you leave home? She kicked me out when I was 18. Okay. Were, were you rebellious during your teen years? Not really. No? No. Oh, she was just like, you're I was afraid. Like, my mom is 4'11", but scary. <laughs> <laughs> Mighty and tiny. That's like my mom. Actually, I what you're saying, I wonder if it's like an immigrant mentality where it's not, because it, it sounds like parts of it, my family, aunties, uncles, like that was just how they raised kids. Yeah. Like, you should be scared of us. Your nervous system is like, you're always on guard. Like, am I going to get hit? Yeah. I mean, so there was the complying with her rules. And then there was also the religious undertone of God is always watching you. And you need to be careful at the way you dress, the way you speak. Like I couldn't wear pants until I was nine because for whatever reason. You Did know. she care a lot? Like how she looked to others? Oh, yeah. And like you like. Oh, yes, okay. absolutely. You know, what are, what are they going to say about you? Mm -hmm. I don't want them saying this about my child. Yeah. And it was always like, so I grew up thinking like, people were always talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> Paranoid. You know, like you're on some stage and totally. like you're the center of like. Like the, don't look bad. Right. Yeah. You can't make me look bad, you know. And she would smile, you know. And I know that this is really common with a lot of parents, you know, smiling in public. And then you're like, get over here. So, you know, purity was like such a big thing. You know, virginity was like a huge thing. You know, you don't have sex until you're married. Don't have a, you know, you need to court you. I need to approve of who you're dating. Basically, I need to approve of who you're getting married to. And 
uh, my life did not unfold the way she wanted it to, and she's had a very difficult time with that. It's basically her way or no way. Ah, okay. Well, let's talk about dating and how this kind of played out as you're dating and growing into who you are. Did you have a pattern with dating? Would you choose a specific type of person? Oh, yeah. What was that? So going back to kind of how she raised me, she raised me like the world is bad. You know, everybody's out to get you. And I started seeing like people are not inherently bad. You know, you're kind of wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no need to be so paranoid. <laughs> Did you move out of New York? So I lived in New York until I was 16. So we moved right after 9-11. It was really sad in New York. And we moved to Denver. I was homeschooled actually for six years. And I was just like absolutely miserable because she didn't want me to get influenced by the world. And so it was just hard time, so depressed. Like it, I'm very social and it, like I had nobody to talk to. I was basically in charge of my own education, like would not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> zero out of zero, you know, like it was bad. Okay. And um, we moved out of New York to Denver and I was, it's kind of like, if you want to say that I had a rebellious time, it, that was, I guess, it because I started seeing like, oh, the world's not bad. You know, I started, I thought I was like this cool, like New Yorker and I like had been around at like 16 and I hadn't because I was super sheltered. <laughs> so I didn't know. And so we moved and we always went to mega churches. I don't know. My mom just like loved churches that like you could see. And there's a lot of issues in mega churches. Like, you know, you don't get to that point of having like a lot of parishioners without like doing some dodgy things. So within months of being in Denver, there was a guy, I remember clearly I walked into the church and he looked at me. He probably saw like, oh, she's new, she's naive and didn't like him at all. And I was also super religious. Like I was reading my Bible all the time and praying and I was like a goody two shoes. And I was like, you know, have a strong relationship with God. Like God is my father, like hoo hoo. And this guy saw me and zoomed in and it was like, oh, I'm in the youth group. Like I'm one of the youth leaders. Like, do you want to go to youth group? And I like shook him off and it was like, didn't really know, like, are you hitting on me? Or do you really want me to like go to this youth group? And he was older than me, like five years older than me. And I thought I could handle it. Over time, he started to like manipulate me and got my phone number by saying like, oh, I want to go to Six Flags with a youth group. Do you want to come? Like, let me get your phone number. And he started realizing that I was having issues with my mom. And so he was like trying to give me advice. And was he older? Yeah. Like how much older? Five years. Okay. And But you were 16? I was 16. Okay. That, yeah. yeah. Five years at that yeah. age is a big gap. Yeah. I forgot to mention that all of my life I've been around broken people. So it's, you know, I had a high tolerance for broken people. <laughs> I thought that it was normal. It's familiar. Yeah. 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 You just right. Think, yeah. Because that's what the church attracts a lot of broken people, you know, because it gives them a second chance. And I'm not saying that people don't deserve a second chance, but you have to be very careful of the people that you surround yourself with, especially a child. And so my mom, she kind of saw that there was something happening and he tried to talk to her and say, no, 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 I, there's nothing happening here. And he began to take opportunities to you know, like, oh, let me, you know, do you want to hang out with me? And I, you know, God told me that, you know, we, sh we should be together. And I'm like, thought I could handle it. 
and very quickly it turned into something that was not from the youth group, you know, and I found myself in a really bad situation where I started dating him and seeing him and uh, he basically groomed me. And I didn't really see that because um, the entire time I felt like I was in control, but I was not. And so something happened and he took advantage of me and I was completely broken and shattered. And then I was told that it was my fault. My mom told me, how could you do this? Instead of thinking like she didn't prepare me, you know, she perhaps, I'm not gonna say that it was her fault, but there were certain things I didn't feel supported. I, I kind of like went towards him, you know, for support. I was looking for something that I wasn't getting in the relationship that I had with my mom. And after it happened, I was in such a bad mental state and she didn't know how to handle it instead of but blaming me and saying, how, how could I? It really hurt me for many years. I can't imagine, well, number one, not feeling support, but also blaming you for something like that at such a young age. Yeah. That's a lot of unraveling and healing to do in your adult life. Yeah. Um, and for many years, I did not see it for what it was. Um, because when we went, she went to the church and she told a youth pastor and he was like, looked at her like she was crazy and I'm not saying that my mom is not entirely crazy but the way she reacted was probably appropriate and they did nothing they kind of swept it under the rug and I would see him in the youth group and you know I ended up breaking up with him because I did not want to have you know that relationship with him and I kind of saw him for who he was I saw that he was manipulating me as soon as it happened because I didn't consent there was no consent I was not taught anything about consent um, he was like, oh, they tore us apart. Like he couldn't, he could not see. I'm like, at, at 16, I still was like, listen, I didn't, we didn't talk about this. Like there was no conversation. I didn't understand what was happening. You know, and when I said stop, it was too late. Mm. And he didn't, it didn't click for him. And for years after that, I tried to make him see, see that because that was like in my, you know, it was ingrained in me to like, hey, <laughs> take responsibility. Like, and he could not. And my mom wanted to go to the police and I was like, no, it was my fault. Like I shouldn't have been there, you know? Like when I think about it now, I'm like, how could, like, why did I blame myself for that? You know, like that that's not, it wasn't my, it was his fault. And the youth pastor did nothing about it, you know? And the whole church knew about it basically. And I went to school because at that time I, went, I was going to school i went to school with some of the pastor's children and they knew what would happen you know so i had all of these eyes on me and i think that's when that's when i was like you know this is not for me anymore and i went to the doctor i told the doctor um what had happened and he had a young child and he started crying mm. he's like i'm so sorry and i told him i'm like i can't sleep Every time I see him, I'm crying. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I want you to know this is not your fault. And I think that you have like PTSD. Mm. And I was crying like all the time. I remember after it happened, I went home. I like laid on the floor and I cried. I was like, I just want to die. Um, this is like so hard. Like, I just want to give up. And I was so depressed. Like, 
I couldn't talk to my mom. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. Cause I was like, this is just, this is my fault. How could I like let God down? And my mom was like, you let God down. Like, how could you do this to me? You know, you gave this away. It was the most precious gifts that you had. And you know, I was just broken. I was so broken about the whole thing. And he would still try to get in contact with me. You know, I want to be with you. I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Because I realized, I'm like, oh, this guy is bad news. And I didn't know this, but he was actually abused as a child. I just found this years ago, a few years ago, that he was abused as a child. He was molested. And so, you know, this, the cliche of hurt people hurt people, you know, it's such a cliche, but it's so true. You know, he had, he didn't have the capacity to even take responsibility for what he did. And he had drug issues. I had no idea, but I just knew that it was bad news. If I stayed in that situation, he was going to keep, like something was going to happen. I was going to get, like something was going to happen, you know, and it, the abuse was going to continue. And I just like needed to get away from it. And so I did, but it was really difficult. I had a really, really tough, like, years, you know, especially the first couple of years. You know, I, I started taking antidepressants. I felt amazing mm -hmm. <laughs> because I went from crying, like, multiple times a day to, like, feeling okay. I'm so grateful to that doctor, like, the compassion that he showed me, but it caused a lot of problems with my mom also. Like, she didn't know how to handle it. Like, she had this child that was, like, that she felt like she could save in a way, and then I was kind of, like, doing okay, and she didn't really know how to handle it. Okay, so after this, is this shortly after you moved to L.A. from Denver? So I moved to Missouri. Well, she could, she was like, get out. She was telling me for two years, get out of my house, get out of my house you know, get, get the hell out of my house. So, you know, one day she was like, get out of my house. And she like cut my phone off. I was dating this guy that she knew really well, super boring guy. <laughs> like if you, if you want your kid to like date somebody, it'd be like this guy. <laughs> he was like so boring. He was like a couple years older than me, but he was like 35, <laughs> you know, super mature guy, like good head on his shoulders. And at that point, you know, this tragedy happened to me. And I was like, all right, this guy likes me. And he is like a really nice guy. Maybe I should go with this guy, you know? And I, I let some time pass. I was trying to heal. I was trying to like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, maybe this will help me to date this guy that's like so well-rounded. And that was a mess. Okay, so you kept looking outside of you. Yes. So I dated him from like 17 to 19 and it was like an absolute mess. Like I've apologized so much <laughs> over the years because when I mean that I was a mess, like, I was crazy. Oh, well, I mean, we've all had. I mean, that's nice. You're taking responsibility and, and acknowledging that. But sometimes we like to, like, point fingers at, like, all, like, our exes and blah. But it's like, have you been awesome every single relationship, too? We all have our moments. Yeah. But, I mean, it's embarrassing. Like, I threw stuff at him. It was just not good. Oh. And he had so much compassion in his heart to, like, you know, deal with me. And he, he saw my mom, he saw exactly, he was in the thick of it with me. Basically, like when I got kicked out, like all of it. And he wanted something more serious. And I was like, listen, I, I'm not ready for something more serious than this. So we broke up, but you know, he did try to like save me. Okay. And years later, he recently actually told me, he's like, you know, I realized my part 
because I've always blamed myself there. I'm like, he was such a good guy, you know, so well-rounded. And, you know, I kind of was like, I didn't know how to accept that. I didn't know how to accept his goodness because I just was always looking for the worst in people. Mm. And I was so unhappy with myself that I was like manifesting this like disaster in a relationship. And he actually told me, he's like, you know, I've done some work too. And I realized that I was trying to save you and you didn't need to be saved. You needed to save yourself and you've saved yourself now. But I mean, everything happens for a reason um, with him. But, you know, after that relationship, it just like went downhill. Like, so I ended up, you know, we broke up and stayed, remained friends. And then I dated another guy shortly. And then another guy that I was like, I think I was always looking for a guy to like save me from I don't know what, you know. And I think I always had this fantasy when I was younger of my father saving me because it was tough. You know, we were poor there was times where we didn't know when we were going to have enough food you know the lights would be turned off we were homeless at some time so i had a lot of anxiety of like like i said knowing way too much and having these adult responsibilities weighing heavily on me and so i always had a fantasy of my father coming in like well maybe my mom is wrong like maybe he's not such a bad person and you know getting me things like a bike and you know giving me love. And I remember that when I was around 20 something and my cousin, bless her, she's like so honest, brutally honest. She's like, Alicia, stop dating these guys that are like representing your dad. Like you are dating these guys because you didn't have a dad around. And I got so insulted. Mm, what'd you do? <laughs> well, I mean, we had a fight. Like it was, I was like, you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> That's not true. You know, and she was right. Like I was dating these guys because I didn't have my dad around, you know, and I was like looking for their approval. And so the next guy I dated, he was on a work trip. He's like, oh, I'm going to go to South Carolina or something like that. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. We didn't end up going to South Carolina. We went to Missouri where he was from. Barely knew the guy, but he seemed on paper like he had it all together. And there were so many red flags there. Like I remember his ex-girlfriend was really present. And she kind of like still wanted to be with him. And she's like, well, did he tell you that he, that I was pregnant once? And of course he was like, she's crazy. Like so many guys like to say about their ex-girlfriends, right? Mm -hmm. She's crazy. It's never them. It's yeah. always the ex-girlfriend. She was still kind of like always in the background and went to Missouri. And I was like, you know, New York City girl. I'm like, oh my God, this is like my social experiment. There's like cows and there's like farmland. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, and I'm like big city girl in this small town. I'm like thinking I like, you know, understand everything. From teens to like 30, you think you know everything. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, started hair school and the relationship. So we were living in his mom's basement basically at that time. And things were tough and he was like very aggressive. And I remember I was saying something to him and he shoved me. And I was like, I can't believe that you shoved me. And then he smacked me. And I was like, because oh. that had never happened. Well, my mom. <laughs> yeah. And something in me was like, oh my God, this is what you know. And at some, like something in me was like, didn't feel worthy. Like I deserved that. I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't have been making fun of him. And I remember that at some point it didn't happen just one time it happened a few times and of course i was trying to defend myself but the guy was like six foot tall and more you know and there was no way and i'm five three there's no, five four and there's like no way that i could like defend myself that much you know i remember just feeling just like utterly like worthless and undeserving but i realized and i was like around 21 at this time 
I'm like, oh my God, this is a pattern. This is all I know. And I'm going to, this is not good. And I need to get out of the situation. And he slapped me so hard that there was a red mark on my face. The next day I went to the hair school and this girl looked at me. I wasn't close to her. And she's like, did he slap you? She just knew. The head teacher, we went to go talk to her. Girls in there with me. She gave me some advice. It wasn't the best advice, but it was like, I was like beside myself. Cause I'm like, I don't know anybody here. Mm -hmm. And she's like, all right, listen, you're at a disadvantage here. You don't really have anywhere to go. Don't make him upset, finish school and make your way out. And I took her advice. What would you have preferred to have heard? Like, come stay with me. Okay. You know, like yeah, something get, like that. Get out like now. Right. Although at that time, would I have taken her up on that? I don't know because I was very prideful. It's like, oh, you know, I can handle it. Like I put myself, and that was also the mentality that I think that I got from my childhood. Like I put myself in this. I got to take myself out. Yeah. Not accepting help because, you know, help always came with strings attached. That's mm -hmm. how I was viewing the world. And what I was seeing was not good. So I was started saving money, graduated, started saving money, didn't say anything, signed a lease, didn't say anything to him. And I was like, when the time came, I told him, I'm moving. Mm. I signed a lease. No, don't go. I, I can change. I was like, oh, no, I'm not. He, at some point, was choking me. I want to kill you. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. You don't want to upset men like that. A lot yeah. of people don't understand this, especially men what it feels like to not feel safe. There's like a sadness to it, but they're like my default is like anger first. Like what the fuck? But at, yeah. when you are put in those situations, you, you feel helpless yeah. and you freeze. And then after the fact, you get pissed about it because you feel like you couldn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm Latina. Like I could handle myself, but no, like the dude was, he was tall and skinny, but like no, he was stronger than me. And his mom, like she heard everything. And I remember when I got my stuff, I called the police department and I was like, listen, I need help getting my stuff. And they brushed me off. I'm like, you don't understand this guy. He is not all there. Like it may turn really ugly and I need help. I brought three girlfriends, two girlfriends with me and the police came. And like I said, they brushed me off. But when they came, he had thrown all of my things out in the yard we had a phone, like a joint family phone. It's disconnected, you know, and his mom is crying. Nice lady, but, you know, nice to the extent that, like, she should have said something to her son. Like, hey, don't don't be an asshole, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and she was crying. She's like, you know, I'm so sorry, but this is my son. I have to side with him. He was belligerent. So at the end of it, when I got all of my stuff, the police officer was like, you know what? the best thing you did was to leave. It's like, this guy's not good news. But yeah, it was a huge learning experience at that time when I was 21, I was like, I had a big, it was one of the biggest epiphanies that I had where I was like, oh, if I continue in this way, I only know this abuse, it's not gonna be good for me. Like I'm not, I cannot be happy. And I was so depressed and so unhappy and just like the opposite of optimistic. You know, just like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And anytime I was happy, I would just like think like the worst is like behind me, you know, at all times. And my mom was like, come back to God. And I'm like, listen, like the dude's not doing anything for me, you know? And like, I've seen like what your God is doing. And like, I don't know, <laughs> it's not very appealing, you know? 
And I'm not saying I don't believe in God. I just don't subscribe to that, you know, type of God. And at that time I had actually my little brother, he was born and I went to, they lived in Seattle at the time. And my mom, so sweet when she was pregnant. I was like, oh, maybe she's changed. Mm -hmm. And then after she had him, it was just like a disaster. Oh no. Yeah, it got physical. Oh no. Yes. So the same, basically like the same. Yeah, so those two events happening and actually the police were called at that time too. Okay. And I am like the least, I'm like so embarrassed about everything. I'm like, oh my God, the police are coming. Like, this is crazy. Like, why is this happening? And the police, they came to get me and they're like, I'm so sorry that this is happening again. I'm so sorry that this is happening to you. Would you like to press charges? I was like, no, that's my mom. Like, I, you know, she just had a like baby. Like, no. But these two events happening, I was like, oh shit, like s- stuff needs to change in my life. Like, uh, this is not good. So... You think I would have learned then, but I kept dating like the wrong guys, manipulative guys, you know, like then I ended up mar- uh, dating a guy who was like from LA and that's how I ended up out here and learned a lot of things about him. I was like, he had narcissistic tendencies. What are some things you did to heal and change the narrative of your story and who you are? I think I started respecting myself more. So the guy that I ended up moving to LA for, he looked at me and he's like, you know, you're what you're looking for, you're never going to find it. And I was like, well, maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong, but it's not you. <laughs> so, you know, we broke up and, you know, had a ton of fun dating in L.A., you know, looking to see what I what I wanted, what I didn't want. And during that time, I also started working on myself and just taking inventory of the things that I wanted in my life for myself and changing my mindset and Um, I started doing yoga. I started doing mindfulness. I started realizing like all of this stuff, all of this trauma was living in my body and it was going to come out some way. It was coming out, you know, it was coming out with me fighting. It was coming. I was always on fight or flight mode, looking for the best or the worst case scenario to always happen. And so I remember the last relationship that I had before my husband I realized that I was getting manipulated in that relationship. And again, that was like the last, like, oh my goodness, like that's also something that I've known from my childhood, you know, somebody always telling me what to do, but in an underhanded way. And I needed to see that. And instead of like looking for the best or always believing that that person had the best interest, that I needed to actually stand up for myself and not listen to what other people were saying about me, because that's what I was also thinking that people perhaps knew better about me than I knew about myself. So I started looking within. Like with yoga, is kundalini yoga? or Yeah. Okay, so kundalini yoga. Was there anything that prompted you to do the self-awareness work? Or did it just occur to yourself that you had enough, like this is not working for me. I need to change something here. Well, I saw how unhappy my mom was and whatever she was doing was not working. And I was like, I want to do the opposite of that. Okay. So that's, that was your fuel. That was my or your fuel. inspiration. Yeah. And like this person has a lot of anxiety. They're super unhappy. They're always looking, you know, at the worst in people, just not what I want. And I'm like, I don't want to live a miserable life because that is not a life worth living for me. And so that's when I started looking within and like exploring different modalities of things that were not approved of when I was younger, you know? Oh, like what? Like, Therapy? Like therapy, Mm. yes. And therapy, like I love therapy. I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I think 
everybody should take therapy, you know? If, yeah, if it's accessible to you through insurance or, you know, yeah. you can afford it. And luckily, well, at least in the communities that we're in, like, it, it feels more normalized as it should be. Right. But it's funny for, like, think, like our parents' generation. It's, it's so weird to them. They think it's, like, bad. Like, you have to be psychotic to go see a therapist. Yeah. I love mindfulness practices, and I think that they work really well in conjunction with therapy. Okay, so mindfulness, like meditation. Meditation, practices like Hua Sha, you know, because I really believe that releasing a lot of the tension that we have in our body that's been stored, perhaps even things that are not our own that have been passed along to us. You know, epigenetics are a huge thing of like, you know, what kind of state of mind was your mother in when she was pregnant with you? Like, those are all things that have affected a lot of us, you know, and we have carried a lot of trauma from our parents also. Yes. And so releasing those things by, you know, going in the sound bath, by movement, by dancing, you know. I love all those things. We've done the sound bath together. Have you ever done, I forgot what it's called. It's like the, when they release the fascia under your muscle. Like um, lymphatic drainage? It's it's more intense than that. Um, I, I did it once in Kauai. It was like a two-day thing because it's that painful. Wow. And things like the jaw. I was crying like a kid. He's like, okay, I'm going to go. You know, because you just, as you know, you hold on to it in your body. But afterwards, you feel great. But wherever you have had sore trauma, whether it's your hips or it could even be like your private regions, things mm -hmm. like that. A lot of men with um, circumcision, you know, like all that is stored in your body. It was so fucking painful. It's not for everybody, but I will say that that was proved to me like I have shit that is stuck in my body that needs to get out. Yeah, there's a reason why people, some people cry when they get a massage. Yeah, or work out really hard. Sometimes that happens to me. I, I feel like I'm being like, yeah. Because <laughs> there needs to be that release, whatever that is. And different things work for different people. Right. Right. But I think letting it out, all those emotions like anger, a lot of people have stored anger. I have a ton of it. Mm. hit things <laughs> yeah i remember my first kundalini yoga class i cried and it just like came out of the blue i was like just crying there and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> i was totally i was caught off guard i was like where are these tears coming from i'm like oh that's old shit that's coming up you know mm -hmm. that had to come out yeah yeah i experienced that have you done reiki before yeah always a delayed uh, reaction with me because she was like you didn't cry I'm like am I supposed to cry <laughs> she knew and then on my walk home and I got home and I sat at my desk and then the tears started coming out like vomiting but tears I couldn't help it it's like oh okay there it is yeah did you read any books that you liked that helped the body keeps score is a really good one because that kind of talks about like epigenetics and you know which is kind of fairly new I guess in science but they are seeing, like I was saying, the impact that our parents and you know generations before have on our DNA. And so when I was pregnant, I was really mindful of trying to break any <laughs> generational traumas. You know, being very peaceful, meditating. You know, accepting myself throughout the process because I knew I'm like I don't know, I've never been pregnant before. I don't know what kind of stuff is going to come up. And so I see the difference actually with my daughter now, like she's very happy and light and she's able to be herself. And it's very, that's very healing for me. It's interesting because every time you think that you heal something, something else comes up. <laughs> Forever. Yeah, you're not all of a sudden like, I've done the work, I'm healed. Yeah, I'm good. No, no, that's not about being human. Like, <laughs> you don't just like heal, you know, yeah. and then that's it, you know, because life is, it's the thing that makes life 
worth living you know you begin to overcome these things so getting married was like a huge thing for me where things came up where i was like oh my god so what were the emotions that came up when well simon your husband is a such a sweet dude he's like i love him so much what were some emotions that came up when you were getting married the commitment part because i did not have a good example of a healthy relationship and so I doubted that I could have like a healthy, I'm like, this is too good to be true. Yeah. Almost like <laughs> self, you want to sabotage it, right? Yeah. And by the way, those feelings coming up before you're, you're getting married is very common. I think some people, they're afraid like, oh my God, there's, is there something wrong because I'm questioning this. It is very natural for it to come up and it doesn't mean anything. A lot of anxiety, like I'm talking like I would go to sleep at like three in the morning sometimes. I'd like wake up, <laughs> you know, and I like shake him like, are we doing the right thing? He's like, yeah, you know, I'm sure, to, you know, that you're the one I'm supposed to marry. I'd be like, OK. And then I would come back up again. And I would like talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, but we, you know, and we had a destination wedding and that was like, didn't realize it what I, before I started planning. But I kind of like need to see things happening. It was really hard for me to like let go. And so that was like a whole different thing. And then my, it brought stuff up from my mom also, and she ended up not going to the wedding and it really affected me. And it overshadowed like my wedding day, I tried to like put a brave face on, but it really, it, it broke my heart that she wasn't there. It probably for the best, because I don't know how she would have acted there, but nonetheless, it really did bother me. Um, and I've always tried to honor her because it was ingrained in me to, you know, no matter what she did to honor her, which is kind of toxic in a way, because I think that's exactly why I allowed so much bad behavior. If it's ingrained in you to allow somebody to treat you poorly and you still go back to them, mm -hmm. that is a form of abuse for one thing. And it just sets you up for failure. Um, in the long term, like I can't imagine treating my daughter poorly and her not putting a boundary and not saying like calling me out and then me going back to her and you know not saying something to her about it you know i just can't imagine that so what are some things that are important to you to teach your daughter that her emotions are valid that she's not responsible for my emotions she is allowed to be her own person and to have her own opinions even if i don't agree with them there's things that she does right now and i'm like i'm like you know she is not, she's her own person and I need to respect her. I need to respect her now as a little person so that she has enough self-respect that she will not tolerate bad behavior when she gets older. I mean, you can say these things, but if the behavior is different, you know, like, sure, my mom was, you know, at some point was saying like, oh, you know, you should be, you shouldn't rely on a man, but she was teaching me something else, you know, with her behavior. We just watch our parents and you just watch what they're doing and whether you like it or not, if you're not conscious about it, you turn, you do exactly what they do. Even the littlest thing, I, what was I doing the other day? I think I was like sleeping and my hand was like this. And I was like, oh my gosh, dad used to do this. It's just like subconscious, like I'm turning into dad. I think it's more impactful sometimes the things that you do around your children more so than the things that you say. It is, they, they watch you. Right, you know, yeah. they're like a sponge. And that's their example is watching you. Yeah, I think that's why now I'm more mindful of the, the way I talk to myself, mm -hmm. the way I talk about her. Yeah. 
you know, to my husband because I know that she's taking everything in and she's making it part of her reality and her identity now. Yeah, I think some people, they don't um, understand the impact that their words have on other people. And it's just, it's what you said earlier, hurt people hurt people. And so sometimes when it does hurt, you know, you just think like how much pain and how much does that person have to like not like themselves to be speaking to me like this? Like they speak to themselves way worse. Yeah, I think that like seeing my mom speak to herself so badly and have so many issues of low self-worth. Yeah. I, I mirrored that because that's all I knew. I'm like, oh, this is normal, you know, for somebody to talk badly about themselves. And so I think that that's why over the years, I've made it such a mission to accept myself and do practices where I'm in my body because I was so outside of my body for so long because that's what I was taught also. I didn't have the answers. I couldn't trust myself. You know, that's what religion taught me. I'm human. I'm flawed. I'm nothing really good, you know, and I have to look outside of myself. And that's really harmful because, you know, I believe that inherently we do know the answers. You know, you don't have to look for somebody else to give you the answers. You know them inside of you. You just have to sit there with yourself and the answers will come. But a lot of us are taught that we are not worthy of having the answers, that we have to, you know, talk to somebody else to get the answers or talk to God or, you know, whatever it is. It's interesting because a lot of the times I think as adults, we try to undo a lot of the things that we learned in childhood. <laughs> We try. <laughs> we try. We spend a lot of time, you know, undoing a lot of those things. And so, you know, I've spent so many years and doing makeup. I see beautiful women. They always pick out something that I would never even think about. Like, oh, I'm so sorry my nose or I'm, I'm so sorry my eyes. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, but I'm like, oh, I'm going to hold space for you because that is a very big concern for you. And, you know, even if I'm telling you you're beautiful, you're not believing that. It's because it comes from something, you know, inside of them, something that, Maybe somebody said something to them when they were younger and they're just not at that space. And, you know, a lot of actors and actresses are some of the most insecure people. And I get it because they're on camera all the time and they're being scrutinized, mm -hmm. you know, and they have to present their best face, face forward. And so I think in my job also, I try to bring a lot of the mindfulness with me, you know, breathe, you know, sit with yourself, take a, take a moment and meditate, you know, offer some tips so that they can feel at ease and also where am i in my emotional state because i believe that energy transfers yeah and so i make sure that i am you know in a good space myself you know so when i'm touching them that i make them at ease that's probably why you get hired too people <laughs> people whether they're think they're spiritual or not they pick up on those things and i think actually i know that's why i got hired as well because i used to photograph weddings yeah it's your energy yeah. I mean, the work is one thing, right? They want someone who can do the job, but it's in your energy. That's a big part of why people get hired. Yeah, and you want to be around somebody who's positive if you're going to work 12 to 16 hours. You know? Yeah, those set days are long. They're very long, but all of the years I've seen, like, it doesn't matter how beautiful the person is. If they don't believe it, if you haven't done some of the work to heal those things within you, you will not believe that you are beautiful. But I mean, with society places a lot of importance on a woman's look, so. I know, we were just talking about how like 18 year olds get filler and Botox, which is crazy. Where do you go from there? I really hope that it's, cause you know how humans can be very extreme with things. I hope it goes like the other way where like the natural look 
is in again. Is it coming back? Yes. <laughs> Gen Z likes it? Okay. Yeah, that's why people are starting to do more like washa and face yoga and more mindfulness because, you know, also something else that's very impactful, like if you don't deal with the trauma, it starts coming out in your face. Yeah. That's why people start wrinkling actually because a lot of that stuff, like the way you're scratching your face, your jaw, all of those things, like, like I said, your body keeps score of those things. And so, you know, there's issues. Like actually traditional Chinese medicine believes that wrinkles they actually coincide with you know an organ in your body so it's really it's not just you know beauty does begin from within like you got to take care of the internal your organs you know mm -hmm. you have to take care of that and also your emotional state yeah. you know so it's not just putting a band-aid by putting on makeup you actually have to work you know inside of yourself to make sure that you are balanced and so but that's easier said than done right <laughs> of course and you could tell when there's women who are shining it comes out of their eyes and it doesn't matter how old they are they could be seven year olds but when they have that spark you know it everyone knows it they're like a magnet that's always my goal is that because i love being around people like that so it's always a work in progress with with the forever healing and you were mentioning with your mom um not attend attending the wedding just life goes on so think new things happen where you need to acknowledge like did this have an impact on me yeah so with your husband what are some of your favorite qualities about him Oh my goodness, that's so many. I like that he, no matter what I want to do, he's always like, okay, yeah, do it. He doesn't try to talk me out of it. He's always so supportive. He's like my sounding board. I also like that early on in the relationship, I remember that I had, you know, my old tendencies of like being crazy or just being anxious about something. And he just laughed at it. He doesn't take it personal. And I was like so shocked that he laughed but I started laughing <laughs> with him. That's nice. And that's not something that like all of the work that I've done, I think has led me to be able to like laugh at things because before I would be like, you know, what's wrong with you? Um, but just like not taking myself so seriously. And he's just like, he puts me at ease and he allows me to be myself and he loves me unconditionally. And that's something that I did not have before. I always felt like I had to be a certain person perform a certain way in order to be accepted and with him I just feel like I could let my hair down and I could just like look my best and he really loves me for who I am that's sweet. I think in the end that's what everyone is looking for I mean, I mean I've never heard anyone say like I want to feel like I can't be me <laughs> or, you know, or I have to put on a show to be loved it's the best feeling and I feel similar with my husband that I'm like I, that's the biggest gift. I feel like I could just be me and not just accepted, but loved for it. So for women out there looking to heal and create the relationship of their dreams, what's a piece of advice that you would give to them? That healing is possible and that you have all of the answers within you. Don't allow somebody else to tell you who you are. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If people would like to reach out to you or send a DM, where's the best place that they can do that? On Instagram okay. and the gram. <laughs> and what's your uh, handle? Alicia Urbias. I'll spell it out in the comments below. Yeah, because that's a mouthful. <laughs> okay, thanks for coming on. And next time you come on, because normally we're more giggly when we hang out and talk, you'll have to come back on and we're going to make fun of all the things like our older guy friends who date really younger chicks. And, oh my God, that's like so much to say about that. <laughs> that's that's a different episode. We'll do that next time. But thank you so much for coming on and being so vulnerable and sharing. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening, everyone. If you've enjoyed the show, please give it five stars and write a review. It helps my rankings, and I really, really appreciate it. And if you're interested in my book to read or gift to a friend, it's called Show Up, Finding Love for Independent Women, and it's available on Amazon. Have a great day.